Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. Jeffrey Tiefertiller back with another Service Management Leadership Podcast. We are excited to talk with Stephanie Warren. Stephanie has 12 years as a Director of Service Management, Director of Service Delivery. Stephanie, how can I build you up more? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And so one thing about Stephanie, on the day we're recording this, <laughs> she is celebrating her 21st birthday for another another year. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah, it's a, just a decade long of 21st birthday celebrations. You know, the best part about it is you have 12 years experience and you're only 21. Yeah, so it's kind know, of amazing. It is yeah. amazing. Working on time travel. I get you. And so I tell everybody this as a lead in. Stephanie and I had an intro call a week before we recorded this, just like I do with every other guest. And we went as nerd service management as it could be. And it was great. It was glorious. And so everybody, I, I know you'll enjoy this. So Stephanie spent 12 years of you know her 21 at <laughs> service master and at corning in these in these roles she's got a wealth of experience so if you were establishing a smo service management organization topic we haven't covered yet on this podcast what guidance would you give those out there yeah sure um i think it's it's first and foremost before you get into the minutiae of what i feel like you need to actually do from a tactical standpoint is realize do you have that top-down support because all the po po policies processes procedures technology resources none of that will make any difference if you don't have the top-down support and i'm not just talking about from a lip service i'm talking about truly from communication consistent communication from the top down belief in analytics um what you're going to the procedures you're going to implement the compliance with those um that's what i mean by top down support and without that it's going to fail and that's just bottom line oh, yeah. beyond that it is really the the procedures that you put into place and you your communication not only with the it organization but with the business because the key really to success with the service management office, and it's really what ITSM is supposed to do, it's supposed to make service great, right? And in order to make service great, you've really got to align what you're doing with the business and the business value of the service that you're providing. Because too often we um, tend to silo um, IT, um, IT capabilities or functions and you can ask like a, the server team and they think that they are doing an excellent job they build out the devops pipeline they're they're killing it right um but i don't like when you ask the business person they're like yeah well it still takes us just as long to get an application deployed because the overall process is not seamless one team might be making incremental improvements, but if the overall process is not improved, then it's not transparent to the business, or it is transparent to the business, and you're not really delivering the value. So really knowing what you are trying to do from a business standpoint and that value, that, that's critical. And I guess the last thing I would say really is the metrics, the analytics that go along with the thing, with the procedures that you're changing um knowing that you're you've got to measure those and knowing when something is not working and then being able to tweak it 
So I, I heard you say three things and, and okay. they resonated with me from my history, my past. You know, we all like hear things and we hear it through the lens of our history, no matter what the topic is. Of course. Yeah. Number one is having the top down support. I've lived in a, uh, an environment more than one where there wasn't support to have conversations about failed changes. That's because right. The leadership doesn't want to have those conversations because, you know, we can't talk about somebody's failed changes. That's I'm right. Like, how are we going to get better unless we can have those conversations? I've also lived in a world where incidents and problems were uh, categorized lower. So the business wouldn't it wouldn't pop up on their metrics, you know, and, and you have to have yes. leadership support that says it's OK that our, our baby's ugly. We're trying to make it better. The right. second piece is, I totally agree with you about the measurements, the metrics, the analytics, because how will we know we're doing a better job unless we're measuring, right? How will we know our speed to delivery? How will we know our uptime? So on metrics and measurements, what are your favorites? What are the ones you like before I go into um, the third one? So I will answer that question, but before I answer that question, one thing I will say is if you are starting a service management office, you can expect whatever you're measuring to get worse before it gets better. Because, and that that's always a gotcha for someone. They're like, whoa, we were never this bad in incidents. Yes, you were, you just weren't measuring the right things. And so that kind of leads me to where your, your question is, is what things should you be measuring? You know, I always use the example that everyone wants to measure how fast incidents are done. You know, how are they completed, right? Why aren't you measuring that you're preventing incidents. And that really does put the processes together because that makes problem management far more important. I mean, getting through an incident and putting out the fire, but preventing fires is really where you want to emphasize your metrics. And then having really detailed KPIs that tell you whether you're getting there, tell you whether your procedures are producing the results that you're actually trying to achieve. If yep. that makes sense. Oh yeah. So you all can understand why Stephanie and I had a great conversation. So third on the list, I really agree. Like we have to have a roadmap on what process we want to do. Cause to your point, we have to have an overall plan that if we do change, we probably need to look at incident. If we look at incident, we need to figure out problem. Yes. You, you know, you mentioned uh, problem management and we'll get to that in a moment. And, but you say it'll get worse before you get better. Yeah. I totally agree because what happens, not all changes that fail until you have organizational support that says it's okay to fail, they're not going to be in there. Not everybody's That's incident right. is going to be in there because they're going to call their buddy, they're going to fix it, it won't be recorded. And until you That's get right. the, the whole population in the system, whatever it is, you will never know how bad the situation is. Yes. Right? You're, I, it, I just tell people at the beginning of implementing these practices, you really have to prepare for your eyes to be completely opened. I mean, because you haven't ever heard of how many things got backed out until you cut off access and you're able, not able to manipulate the metrics. It's eye-opening. And then that's where you really want to draw your baseline, though. You don't really want to draw your baseline of where you are when you start the procedures. You want to measure for a while so you can kind of enforce the procedures and say, okay, this is really where we are and then start measuring your maturity from that, that perspective. Oh yes. And so <laughs> I want to circle back to the, the leadership support 
and I, I say this in, in Yucatan, I'm smiling. I, yeah. The pain is gone. The scars are healed from this. But you realize how much leadership support you have or ha do not have when you are negotiating out those policies and what, is the, what are the consequences third, fourth time somebody doesn't put in record a change or something 100%. Like that. Yes, you're absolutely right. That is so true. I mean, you do differentiate the lip service from the actual believers at that point. They're like, yes, we believe in you. Okay, so the 15th time somebody doesn't record a change, you're okay giving them an HR warning? No, no, yeah. no, we can't go that quickly. That's like right. 15 times, you know, it's one of those things. All right, yeah. so knowledge management is near and dear to my heart. I noticed that you led those knowledge management groups. Knowledge management to me is a way to allow your customers to have better service quick, more quickly, to have empathy on your customers and on your staff. But knowledge, like I said, it's near and dear to my heart. How would you, sure. and, but most leaders don't invest in it. It's like, it seems like it's a luxury. How would you go about convincing a leader that maybe this is worthwhile? Yeah, um, and I do agree with you that it's often looked at as as a luxury and nice to have or something that is behind continuous improvement. But it, and it is that, of course. But it's it when you start looking at service management from the customer's perspective, they want consistent service. They want it fast. They want without being calling the service desk and being transferred three times and having to wait for someone to call them back. And with a service level of sometimes that's three to five days, I mean, that's literally misery, you know, for um, the business. So in order to combat all that and really improve those services, knowledge management is key to that. It is key to AI. It is key to any automation. It's key to consistent resolution. It's it's key to actually not having the same repeating incidents all over. You actually know how quickly to resolve it or what to look for so that you can close your incidents faster and then through problem management, create those knowledge articles so that you can prevent them. It, it's really, it's the equivalent of the CMDB um, from your asset and your business service perspective, it, knowledge management is also the partner to that from the, the business user's perspective, if that makes sense. It does, but I would also layer in the thought that the more complex your organization is with partners, the yes. more knowledge you need because of those handoffs are usually difficult uh, when you have run books, all of that sort of thing. You mentioned yeah. AI. People don't realize Pardon. how much AI yeah. is in service management. When you get that little chat, that's but right. Yeah. That's AI, right? Exactly. And that what's behind that is really consistent, solid, mature knowledge management. Yes. And the other piece I want to make sure I pile on because you're doing great <laughs> is uh, none of us like to be transferred. Can you be on? Can I put you on hold so I transfer you to someone else? Can yeah. I put you on hold? So there's three things that work on those. A, every time that's transferred, the customer satisfaction, customer experience plummets each time, right? Yep. Second of all, each time costs you more because each person you pass it to is a higher bill rate or whatever. You know, your service desk is the cheapest. That's true. And so you want them to be as equipped as possible. And then third, even more cheaply, you want the people to be able to search for your knowledge management and resolve it themselves. That's right. Yeah. And with when you do have that level of knowledge management, it's mature, you start to push um, 
the resolution of services, the completion of services, the resolution of incidents, you push it down to a lower level to the cheapest possible resource. And in the perfect world, you automate it or, or turn it into self-service so that the call's not even necessary. Oh, yes. So so the the sell is right. It's better customer service or satisfaction and yes. cheaper. How, exactly. Why, why would you say no to that, right? That is right. And it was easy for me in my past because um, I've always dealt with multiple service providers. And oftentimes, you know, there's highs and lows of, of your level of outsourcing. But often the, the service desk is outsourced and many contracts are are paid for by your um by your interaction with the service desk and the callers. So you absolutely want to build up the maturity of your knowledge management so you can literally cut cost. Right. So, you know, let's walk this through very simply. Which, what do you invest in knowledge? What's been searched the most? What calls you get the most? That's right. And you work top down. And uh, I don't want to oversimplify it, but is that where you're at on this? Yeah, it is absolutely where I'm at. Um, No, really with any of the service management practices, you have to have really clear procedures. Like when you close an incident, you close it with a knowledge article attached, you know, so that the next person that has that incident can reference that knowledge article. So you have detailed procedures, but then you have to have those KPIs from a knowledge management organization or a service management organization. You have to be looking at that and saying, are the, are they sol- are we actually solving incidents faster? Are we actually is our is our self service um, statistics? Are they going up? Is the adoption better? If you're you're implementing these practices, but you're not implementing them just for the sake of implementing, you're implementing them for the sake of improving business. And you have to have KPIs that align to those and measuring your own practices to say, are they doing what we intend for them to do? And I can't stress that enough. I keep going back to it, but just implementing the service management practices is not enough, or it really has to be clear procedures of what you want people to do when, and then measuring, are they doing it? And then is it working? Yes. And, and once again, piling on, cause you're doing, <laughs> go ahead. Is Please. I have found in my life work and not that most conflict is based upon expectations. And so if we give people it, by your, you know, your, talking about procedures, we give people clear expectations. They know what to do, so they're more satisfied in it. And yeah. there's lower conflict. Somebody can't say, well, I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like That's all right. It helps in that. So let's segue to problem management. One, okay. uh, past guest, Steve Heyman, did a great job talking about how his, the, where he's at, Bank of America, handles problem management. So problem management is another one that doesn't get the love, in my opinion, that it really deserves because it helps save money. It helps reduce incidents, which helps your uptime. Mm-hmm. So if you are talking to a leader and they're like, uh, why should I invest more researches in, uh, resources into problem management? Why should I do that? It just feels like it's a luxury, so to speak. Yeah. How would you, what, how would you address that? I probably would roll my eyes like I just did. Um, I get that treatment off. But yes, so I do. I don't think I do hear that often. And I, I, I'm just like, what? So you do have the time and resources and money to continue to do things over and over and over because that is what you're trading. Can you can we take the time to really invest in problem management? And even if you have to steal from incident time, right? 
get it done as quickly as possible, but invest in problem management with the goal of actually stopping it. And that is the probably the primary KPI that I really, at least from service operations, that I, I tend to want to measure more than anything else. I would like for us to stop because where I, when I stop having the incidents, that's when I start really becoming, uh, really maturing the processes and you can move on to continuous improvement and making things automated, you know, and making the world a better place. But if all your time and resources are spent on incident management, because that's really where you are spending your time if you're not investing in problem management. That being said, you have to have these conversations because you have to really sell this to upper management, not only from the business and not only from a particular IT department, but it has to really be bought into. I mean, I, whenever I have problem reviews for major incidents, I want to have C-level executives in the room. And I want to present them and say, here's the incident, here's the problem, or here's the incident, and here's the risk that was associated, the likelihood of happening again. And if you guys, we've gone through the, the steps to figure out what the root cause was, and here's the corrective actions that we feel like need to be implemented in order for it not to occur. And if you don't feel like that it is worth stopping, then let's stop calling it a priority one incident. You know, and so it raises the service level. Like we, a, a priority one instance, typically four hours or less, right? If we don't feel like it's in that important enough to invest and and prevent it, then let's stop calling it a priority one and like make it a service level of the eight or 12 hours, right? So whenever you get to that point, you sort you get a little more buy-in. Right, especially if you can quantify a cost to those, uh, to every exactly. minute and every That's hour. And you say, Okay, Mr. or Mrs. C-Level, it's costing you 100000 an hour. And your, yeah. your service provider says they can do it in four and under. So we're talking a lot of money. How, how motivated are you to, to trying to make this not happen again, yes. right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, that's, pretty, that's one of the most difficult things to get down to a, a dollar figure per outage, right? Or per service interruption. But if you can get to that, that is your constant uh, for every conversation. You know, like you're just cha-ching, cha-ching, here's my argument, cha-ching, right? It, it makes right. itself when you're able to really do event management and know, tie your dollars, um, your cost to an outage or interruption. Yep. And also it helps you with change management. Yeah. You know, and it, but overall, it just helps you prioritize, right? Because let's spend all of our resources helping the ones that save money. And so it's just one of those, because when, in our, our pre-call to this, you know, we talked about those people that love firefighting. And I don't want to, we've all been oh, there. Yes. We all know those nah. people. It's almost like whack-a-mole. They like playing the arcade game where they just whack uh -huh. the mole all the time and they enjoy it. But at a level, a C-level, they don't want to get that call from their business customers saying, hey, such and such, or ERP yes. down again. What happened? What are you going to do? I mean, that's what happens, right? Absolutely. And sometimes it's such a simple fix. You know, I do think that oftentimes until you ha get C-level people in the reviews, they don't know how often these things are occurring because they're quickly fixed. Or they never understood that it's the same root cause that is the source of 15 outages in this past month, right? right. They all seem slightly different, so they seem like anomalies. 
and they never really hear that certificates failing is the same reason all of these applications have gone down, right? Certificate. So fixing the root cause, fixing your certificate pro management process, that that solved. That's one of the simple solutions. Certificates, especially with vendors with layered SaaS on certain applications. Yep. I've seen a, a SaaS a layered solution take down ERP with a certificate. Yeah. And it was ugly. It happens it all the time. Ugly. I mean, it was ugly. All right. So let's move towards, we talked about a little bit about service providers. You've gone through Siam. I've gone through the Siam side on consulting and on um, internal. I have this base belief that most consultants have never lived with the consequences of Siam so that they've never felt the pain, you know, on how sure. it works. They just said it, the old Ronco, you're not old enough because you're only 21 to remember this, set it and forget it. But I remember yeah. And uh, so if you are going to give advice to some organization, but how do you set up Siam? And so let's talk about Siam is uh, service integration and management. It yeah. looks like it looks different in the UK and Europe and Asia than it does in the US. US kind of wants to separate in services and call them managed service providers, MSP. Sure. But how would you, if, if I'm off on any of that, you tell me, but how would you go about if somebody says, hey, Stephanie, we want to bring you in. We want to take this organization to Siam. We want to understand our services, all that stuff. Yeah. How would you advise them? So, um, I would hope when they're, we're having this conversation that they have not inked uh, many of their service provider deals because one of the most difficult things, probably the most difficult thing with Siam is making a deal that aligns with your service levels, your company's service levels. Because if you, through a merger and acquisition, um, you might be adopting like prehistoric service levels that don't align and that makes, and that makes Siam super hard. But if you have the ability to establish your services, and when I say your business services, those the commitment that you're making to deliver IT services to the business, and then you align all of your service levels and operational your operational level agreements um, with each of your internal and your external service providers so that they roll up to your business service, which is what you're actually uh, measuring at, your, at the service level. Uh, perspective, then it works. It it really just works, and you it, at that point it, you can plug and play service providers really quickly, um, provided you have other tools like mature knowledge management, right. mature CMDB. Um, it makes it super simple to unplug a vendor and plug them in, um, or for even the vendor to partner. That being said, one thing I will absolutely say that is non-negotiable in my opinion is you never outsource service management to a service provider and you definitely do not manage your itsm tools to a service provider that is what you're measuring your service with across the board it is it literal insanity to me to hear of organizations that will outsource either one of those those components to a service provider you can't outsource governance. No, and you can absolutely not. But I still see it done every day and I'm floored. Yes. And so you, you struck on something that's near, near to me. And one is before you go down this Siam road. And so I've seen it twice. So I, I speak about like, it's not uncommon. 
you have to define your services from your business before you say, right. let's outsource. Because you have to out understand what you're offering your business, you customers. You have to yes. understand how all those fit together. You can't just outsource this bit and that bit. And now let's talk about services. Because then That's right. it's like putting a puzzle back together after you've lost a few pieces. You know, it's difficult. Right. I agree. And I think it's important that you map those business services back to the individual components that they're delivering so that you can test that theory to make sure it is cohesively rolling up to the service level that you've committed to and is measuring what you want it to measure and that the business agrees with it. Right. And same with those SLAs because your vendor should be nowhere yeah. near those SLAs. No but, way. You know, because it, it doesn't matter. So two things. First, uh, what KPIs or metrics do you like? You mentioned SLAs, OLAs. Is there anything else that you would like to have in place as you go into a SIAM or an MSP type of relationship? Um, you know, it really depends on the service that, that the outsource provider is, is delivering for you. But I can just using like service desk. Um, it, that's frequently outsourced. So I can, I'll use that as an example. Um, and it's easy for me to, to talk to those service levels since it's a reflection of the, the service management, um, I guess, philosophy. They're the right. arm of what we're trying to accomplish within service management. They're usually the first contact for the business. So whatever our goals are from a service management organization, um, for me, it's, if it's at a, I don't know, intermediate level, maturity level, then early on you're trying to adapt some um, self-service um, or some automation adoption. Um, I, one that comes to mind, which is always a problem, is password resets, right? Um, measure, having service levels with the service desk that, that facilitate um, the whatever action that you want them to take. It's also important into the agreement that you have incrementally increasing service levels so that their performance continues to increase over the purity of the contract. Um, and then you're meeting with them on a day-to-day -day basis because it's not just up to them. You're giving them procedures, but you're also giving, giving them a way to feel like they're a partner so that they can contribute and help you get further where you would like to be as an organization. Yes. And the other thing I heard you say, and we've talked about, we talked about this offline, so I'm not setting you up, <laughs> is, uh, you know, I've been a part of organizations that think defining their services is a tool exercise. Yes. But there is, you elaborate before I get on my soapbox. Yeah. So, I mean, I am a huge technology proponent. I believe wholeheartedly that in the importance of the ITSM tool that, I think that you really should invest in an ITSM tool that integrates all of the components like incident problem change that's backed on a fully formed mature CMDB that's tied to knowledge management, believe that. But none of that actually matters if you're not improving the service that's delivered to the business. It's pushing jello at that point. You're like, well, we have all these analytics. If no one is looking at the analytics and making decisions, if you don't know what failure looks like and you have analytics that'll tell you that, that we're not improving the business. They are not adopting. They're not resetting their own password. You know, um, they're not taking advantage of the information. Maybe your procedures are wrong. Maybe you have a training 
um, deficiency that you need to look at. There are a myriad of things, but just following the following the steps of our procedure and collecting analytics doesn't get you anywhere. It actually is the full circle, the life cycle of continuous improvement, understanding what your analytics is telling you and being able to pivot when necessary and knowing when you should pivot um, to, to continue to make it successful. And when I actually say successful, one thing that you talked about earlier um, from, from an organizational perspective, when you achieve success, asset service management, you are saving money to pay for your continuous improvement. So that's really what should be driving you. You know, you're getting more efficient so that you can save money so that you can continue to reinvest those funds into continuous improvement. So like first call resolution, right? That number yeah. should always go up because they're your, we just talked about it, the cheapest people, so yeah. on and so forth. Same with how many people use your self-service. That that's number right. should go up. And, uh, Things that those kind of metrics to me are what's going to drive customer satisfaction or experience, Agreed. whatever word you want to use there. Right. And I, you know, it's so hard um, to emphasize the importance of customer communication and partnering with your business so that they're able to tell you what is working, what's not working, because they may be the root cause of why something is not working. But you have to have that communication and bring them into your processes so that they understand that this is not something you're doing to them. It's something that you're doing with them and you need their feedback and you need them to participate because you're not only selling to the IT organization that you need them to follow these procedures, but also to the business, right? They're the ones writing the checks. That's I mean, exactly right. You don't realize, but it's they the C-level sit around in a circle and they say, we have X amount of dollars. How are we going to divvy it up? The technology person, uh, woman or man, is going to stick their hand up in the air and they're going to say, I want X. And the marketing or the accounting person is going to say, why should I give you that? And, and they're going to say, so I can save you money. I could save That's right. time. You know, think about how much time it costs you sitting on hold for the service desk people to get passed around. We can save you time. You know, it's those conversations, right? Yes, exactly. Oh my, this has been an awesome <laughs> conversation. Stephanie, we hope to have you on again. Uh, hopefully our audience has enjoyed this. Now, all of you who are listening, when you hear this on YouTube or <laughs> Apple or Google or Spotify, please comment happy birthday to Stephanie so she understands that A, somebody listened to this. Oh no. That she looks great for 21, right? <laughs> so uh, thank you, Stephanie, for being a part of this and, and indulging my, my nerddom. Uh, <laughs> let's talk deep about this and have some conversations. Thank you. For of course. Thank you, so for, thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, everyone. We'll be back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. This is Jeffrey back for closing thoughts. We thank you for watching us in this podcast, the series every week. And also want to thank Stephanie for being with us. Great conversation, wasn't it? So there's a couple of things I'd like to close with, if I may. Number one is empathy. We have to understand from our customers' point of view or business customers, as well as our employees' custom, uh, employees' point of view, how our processes, how our programs all are working together. These 
sets of feedback are invaluable to our success. And we have to leverage those. Second of all, SIAM. All right, you heard me mention knowledge management. I'm a strong believer. Problem management, strong believer in both. In knowledge, we talk about how to cost-effectively equip our user community to get the best results they can get as quickly as possible. And we'll talk about cost-effectiveness at a later time. And problem management, how do we reduce the cost of all these incentives? How do we make them go away? And so we appreciate those. But SIAM is what I wanted to really focus on. I've been a part of multiple organizations that did this poorly. And that's why you heard me have strong, strong opinions, strong questioning, uh, questioning uh, lines for Stephanie. This is something that your organization needs to get right. And it will help you save money. It will help you become more effective, but you can't do it haphazardly. And there's many organizations, there are many organizations who say they can do this well, and I've seen it up close, and they can't. They've never lived it from the customer point of view, and I have. And so if your organization is, is seeking guidance on how do we do SIAM well, please reach out to service management leadership or myself, and we'd be happy to help you. We thank you once again for being a part of our podcast and all that we're doing and hope that you will stay tuned for our future guests. We have some awesome guests lined up. We are, I, th I think we've had awesome guests so far, but this is so exciting for us. So thank you for being a part of our journey as we look to build this community in the service management world. And I hope you have a great, great day.